Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. Welcome to Psychomedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a subject I've been studying for 25 years, almost as long as I've been trying to make it big in comedy, and a quarter of a century of studying the fascinating way our minds work on and off stage has led me here today discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest, the wonderful Nick Helm. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Nick, how are you today? Um, I'm all right. Um, I have been uh, suffering from insomnia recently nice. so i've had about uh i think it's a bit i think i've had about three or four hours sleep oh goodness over the last like um you know week okay. and i th- but my sister's just had a baby right and so i think it's kind of like a little bit insomnia is a little bit like uh having a kid only without the long-term investment <laughs> and without the perks Goodness. I think, like, so today I went to sleep at nine o'clock in the morning. Right. And uh, my alarm woke me up at one to get here for this. (laughs) But it, like, I was in, like, a deep sleep. And um, I fell asleep at about three or four o'clock in the morning. uh, But then about 15 minutes after I fell asleep, I heard this loud knocking on the door. Uh, in uh, I live in like a block of flats, mm. and I had a loud knocking on my front door, and I got up to investigate, and there was no one there. And I, when I stuck my head out my, my front door, and it was just like long, dark corridors, because um, it's like the middle of the night. Mm. It's really fucking creepy. And then, yeah, and then when my alarm went off for this, I like woke up like, going, yeah, rah, rah. you know, like I was like, it, I was, it was a deep sleep. And that's happened the last few days where I haven't got to sleep till sort of like it's daylight. Oh, goodness. Sorry to wake you for this. Uh, no, you that's all right. You can drift off back I'm to just, sleep uh, if, you, if you fall asleep halfway through this. It's well, I'm lying down. I'm very relaxed. Yeah, it's fine. You told me to lie down, though. It did, I did. You forced me to lie down. I did. I was just like, no, I'll, sit, I'll stay set, set. And then you no, people will lie down, Nick. I didn't, yeah. And now I'm lay down. I'm so comfortable. Good. So I'm just basically, it was just a heads up. If I do fall asleep. It'd be beautiful. You can cover, cover for me. It'd be beautiful. 
I'll ask a long question if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, as normal on so comedy, we won't be looking at each other for the duration of the chat. So let's start. Yeah, there was like a, hey Nick, how are you doing? And 15 minutes on insomnia and night terrors. <laughs> we haven't even started. Hello. <laughs> My yeah. name's Nick. <laughs> I'm that kind of guy. You know, yeah. all right, mate. Well, it's been a bit of a tough month. <laughs> so, Nick. Yeah. You are, uh, you are star of stage and screen. Oh, thank God you said that. I thought you were going to start with an insult. <laughs> you are a prick of pricks. No. Nick, you are star of stage and screen, and um, but perhaps you're best known for in 2017 coming second <laughs> in the world's best MC in the world competition. Yeah, a competition that I set up and in no way fixed. This was um, I'm I'm saying this because I'm going to play in a little clip right at the top after your insomnia chat. Um, so this was a uh, spoof MC awards at the Edinburgh Fringe. Please Google this, World's Best MC Award Final. You'll see it. As I, I watch you on this, here's my first admission, I watch you on this every couple of months, and I watch very little stand-up comedy, but I just loved your performance in this. It was uh, fantastic. For those that don't know anything about this, which is everybody, we set up this spoof MC Awards competition. Uh, the main joke was it was MCs introducing each other, so they would be asking the same person then <laughs> names um in this case the guy was joe he just kept being asked his name so joey page i think introduced you and i think this just epitomizes you as a comedian this was all improvised and we get to see your bravado but also like the anxiety the desire to be loved and you're just being very very funny as always so i just wanted to start with this clip <laughs> Whoa. What are you laughing at? What are you laughing at? <laughs> Did he do something to me when I came on? <laughs> Why are you just staring at me? I'm not. I'm not being. I'm not joking. I'm not being funny. <laughs> why? Why? When I came out, Joey. Joey. You know, it was. And you were meant to do five minutes, and you did three. <laughs> What's your name? Sam. Where's Joe? <laughs> You're Joe. Fucking, I thought you were the camera. <laughs> Nick. Jay, 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 Jay. You're supposed to do five, not nine. I'm making up for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that at all. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Oh, my God. So, who won? It was me. You won, yeah. And I me. came second. You did. It was a clap-off. Right. But I, I got to vote on who, uh, who won the clap-off. Of course. Even though you may have been slightly louder of course. than me. You, we got plastic trophies. I got yes. a plastic trophy. I got a plastic trophy. You got no trophy. No, you. I got a plastic... I think no. I stole yours then. Oh, you may have done. Because I've got my... Because I, I know it was only like a spoof award ceremony, mm. but I've got that. Yeah. Plastic trophy next to all my real trophies. <laughs> uh, in a way, it's my favourite. But in another way, it's the British Comedy Awards that's my favourite. <laughs> so, I, I thought I'd play that in because um, 
I think it just does sum up for the, those few people that don't know your star, kind of. The, the... <laughs> that, that, that's such a sweet way of saying that. <laughs> the two or three yeah. people. Uh, for those of style. you who've got no idea who the fuck he is, here's <laughs> uh, three minutes that gives you a taster <laughs> that I'm legally allowed to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I own the copyright too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure, all right. Yeah, that's cool. I get it. Yeah. I can dig it. <laughs> no ego here, mate. <laughs> I do have a British Comedy Award. It's fine. Stop mentioning that. No, British no, Comedy it's Award twice is. in two minutes. <laughs> um, um, so yes, your kind of bravado, the but the fragility, the anxiety sometimes coming across. This is something you've explored more, I think, than you uh, have in the past in your recent tour show or your current tour show, Phoenix mm -hmm. from the Flames, where I understand you're talking more openly about issues such as depression. Is that right? I haven't seen the show, by the way. I will if you invite me. But uh... I sort of have by doing a tour and printing the posters. <laughs> I have to be personally invited. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, God. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I'm not sleeping at the moment. I'm emailing everyone. <laughs> oh, begging them. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, so we did uh, the Royal We. We mm. did um, the tour last year. So I spent eight months of the year working on the show. I, you, know, you write it, and you do. I did Edinburgh, and then did the tour, and it went well. So we extended it and touring again in the spring. Mm. Um, yeah, it's all about uh, depression and uh, anxiety. But it's it's not really about depression. It's just sort of like explaining my te what I learned like a while ago. Um, like maybe when I first started writing theatre in 2000 and 2001, what I learned was sort of like the more specific you are about yourself, the more people can sort of relate to it. Yeah. I think, um, I think sometimes you can kind of like try and second guess an audience or try and be a crowd pleaser. And you can kind of like, you know, like one of, Michael McIntyre's criticisms is that, you know, he just sort of like talks about stuff that everyone remembers. And I think there is a real skill in that, mm. in like finding something, finding a common ground that we can all kind of like meet on. Mm. You know, when you're talking about um, windscreen wipers and uh, <laughs> people that wear glasses and stuff like that. <laughs> no, but I think that this is, there's something that everyone can relate to and there is skill in that. And audiences love it. But um, but I think that if you can be like very personal and very specific about how you're feeling, people can also relate to that as well because they might not necessarily know the exact thing that you've gone through, although a lot of the time they do. Mm. They can kind of like empathise with you. Um, mm. And so what I've done with this current show is I've tried to just be really kind of like uh, personal and specific about my experience with uh, depression mm. so, uh, because um, I think that even just talking about it helps other people. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard you mention that people come up to you frequently after the show and talk to you about it. Well, I do stand out there. It's not like <laughs> I am sort of like welcoming. <laughs> welcome. But then I, what I found was that when, you know, um, when you do sort of like smaller clubs and pubs and stuff, Mm. What I find is that people come up to me and they talk to me about it anyway. Yeah. And I've never sort of like been this in depth 
And I've found that over the years, you know, I've just sort of like, not necessarily gone that in depth and that personal. It, it, it started off as more of a character that drew on my real experiences because mm. I was hiding behind a character. And the more the years have gone on, the less. I just think writing like a parallel life for someone, like I had a girlfriend for five years and I was writing my character like I was single. <laughs> so I was kind of like, um, so you'd have to sort of like second guess your own material because mm. it's kind of like you're, write, you're essentially writing for a character, yeah. which is more work. Mm. It's much easier to cut out the middleman and just sort of like rather than go rather than filter it through another persona, mm. is to basically just get up, get up on stage and talk about it from your own personal point of view. Mm. So it's easier in a way. Mm. Um, Why did you do that? Why did you? Was that just uh, to for the audience to presume you're sadder than you are if you're single? Well, the persona. Mm. I just think that it's very difficult to find. Uh, I think it's difficult. I, th I think winners aren't funny, mm. you know. Um, so I kind of went, uh, and also, um, you know, just I think every comedian puts on a persona mm. to some degree. One of the big kind of like when I first, I'm very aware that I'm not tying up. So one let's talk about psychology. Mm. One of the things that I have difficulty with is talking like this and then going off on tangents and then not tying That's everything fine. up. So I'm trying to keep mental tabs on what I haven't finished talking about. <laughs> but one of the th when I first started out doing comedy and I'd watch a lot of comedy, one of my favourite comedy shows was um, that Lee Mack um, Green DVD that he had. <clears throat> it was his first, I think he filmed it at Bloomsbury. Right, yeah. And he did loads of audience work. Where he takes a pair of glasses off the it's, audience, is that? Yeah, there's right? a guy in the audience with some glasses. Yeah. That's like a five-minute routine about his glasses. Glasses material's brilliant. That is it's incredible. He just thought of it just then. And then you go, of course he didn't. There's always someone in the audience <laughs> with some glasses. And there's always... Some, he does a bit with someone's hat as well. He takes someone's hat off him. There's always someone with some glasses. There's always someone with a hat. Mm. But on top of that, he is improvising. Yeah. But on top of that, he... He may have improvised it exactly the same way before, <laughs> you know. So it's kind of like, so it's kind of like a masterclass on uh, performance skills that Lee Mack DVD. But mm. also, um, what I learned from that was that in some of his jokes he'd be married, and in some of his jokes he'd be single, and in some of his jokes he'd have a girlfriend. And really, you don't learn anything about Lee Mack mm. by the end of it. He's just basically just telling jokes to to suit to uh, to, to he's just telling jokes yeah. and uh, whatever uh, he has to be in order for the joke to work he you know he'll be and so when I did um, uh, I did a show in two thousand and ten called Keep Hold of the Gold and when I did that show I thought I think that that Lee Mack show was a really big influence on that because every every joke was basically self-contained. So in some of the jokes I'd be single and some of the jokes I'd be married and some of the jokes I'd have like a girlfriend. And, and I kind of like, I, I wasn't trying to uh, create too much of a, a, a narrative, mm. except for the songs and the poems created their own narrative. And then that was the start of like, having a persona. Was that what, yeah. what, was that, what, was that what we were talking about? <laughs> Um, I think I just said hello. I think um, 
I haven't been sleeping. It's terrible. <laughs> it's like the, the, with the persona, it's kind of like I did it because it was kind of like a way to uh, an easy. I thought it was an easier way of generating material where you could just kind of like you didn't have to have like an interesting life. Yeah, you could literally just uh, invent stuff. Yeah, yeah. But then what I found was people just believe anything that you say on stage. Mm. And people were kind of like shocked to find out that I wasn't angry all the time and I wasn't single. And, mm. you know, I'm actually quite a soft-spoken, polite yeah. man. So, like, so... But yeah, as you say, the... All that weird. The, when you say winners aren't funny, I think that, that's the, I think that's the key thing there, isn't it, with with how you've maybe thought about this in the past, that if you are winning potentially in life and you're happier and you're with a girlfriend that maybe you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't think it's as easy to get comedy out of that. Yeah, even people that I know that are happily married, they go on and they fucking slag their wives and their husbands off, <laughs> you know, because that's what people find funny. And it's kind of like, oh, you're married, but you're unhappy. Great. You know, <laughs> that's what people yeah, yeah. people enjoy. Yeah. And I think this is like, there's a very small kind of... Uh, I don't know. There is there is a there is a subgenre within comedy where people just like talking about knitting and <laughs> baking cakes and isn't everything lovely and nice. <laughs> and I just I've never kind of I think that's bullshit. I think it's kind of um I think it's kind of like um uh having an afternoon with your family where everyone is pretending that there's not an issue. <laughs> and everyone is just like going, if we just pretend everything's fine for the next 15 minutes, then we can leave here uh, and uh, have our breakdowns in private. You know, but I, th I think it's kind of like it's a Band-Aid and it's sweeping everything under the carpet. Mm. And I think that if you actually just talk about how shit things can really be, mm. uh, then you can actually not only shine a light on it, but you can actually go some way to using comedy as a way of healing. Yeah. So Not just yourself as well. I think it can be, you know, self, uh, uh, self-reflective, obviously, and it mm. can kind of like, um, it can be cathartic for yourself, but it can also be cathartic just to hear someone else saying those words. Mm. Like I've had people on this tour come up to me and they say they've not been able to put their own feelings into words before. Mm. and that I've said stuff on stage that's resonated with them and they've got like a voice, that, you know, mm. and it's kind of like giving them a phrase for it or it's given them, a, you know, or it's put how they've been feeling it, um, into perspective or it's given them kind of, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's voiced it for them and they come up to me and we talk about stuff afterwards and it's kind of, I find that... That's great. I find that sort of rewarding and, and and I find that also it's more genuine now that it's not a persona you know well it mm. is a persona it's still the same sort of vulnerable angry you know um arrogant lonely you know it's kind of like it's about opposites isn't it we're here for a, for a night of comedy but I'm talking about depression and it's a, it's about like um it's everything has got an opposite with with my act, yeah, I think I get written off a lot of the time as kind of like a very shouty, sweary comedian. And you mm. go, yeah, there is that, but there's also all the opposites as well, where it juxtaposes itself. Yeah, I think TV doesn't help with that. When you do TV, you have to kind of like do everything in a short amount of time, and so you're working in a shorthand. And also, when you do something like eight out of ten cats, you sort of like have to distill. 
Yeah, you what can't you really t- openly talk about your depression. So you're not talking about depression on eight 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 So what you end up doing is shouting and swearing, and people yeah. go, "Oh, that's what he does." And you know, yeah, there's yeah. more to it than that, really. Yeah. And how are you? How are you right now in terms of that? In terms of depression, is it up and down or not? Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, up and down. Well, do you know what? It's weird because I've left the house and we're talking to each other, mm. and that instantly has made me feel better. Yeah. But I would have done anything not to have left my flat. <laughs> I've heard you say that, I've heard you say that. And, but then you know that once you leave, you're in a better place. No, but it doesn't, it doesn't fix you. It no. Doesn't, it doesn't make you better. It, it doesn't make, make you feel better for a, for a... It makes you feel better while you're there. But yeah. like, for instance, um, I hadn't left the house. Uh, uh, I had quite a difficult Christmas. Very mm. tired. Family stuff is stressful. My sister's just about to give birth. We're all on red alert. And... Uh, and I get back to um, London on New Year. And then I haven't left my flat since yesterday. So I'm basically, I've, I've made a nest in my spare room when I've just been watching films. Right. But yesterday, I went out in the evening for the first time in, mm. the, in the New Year. I saw my friend, but I was very tired and I went home again. So it's kind of like, it, 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 it was good to sort of like test the water and sort of like leave the flat and get out but yeah so i've heard you talk about therapy and that you enjoy therapy is that something you're still doing yeah, on a regular basis this, actually right okay okay oh, i don't think i've got anything i'll have anything left to say <laughs> <laughs> so that's a waste of 80 quid <laughs> <laughs> i've heard you talking about that it's brilliant and you love it um it's difficult it's uh, um it's it's it is like I've just started going back to the gym as well. For I had a break while mm. I was on tour, and um, so basically, I've started going to the gym uh, yesterday. And basically, all my legs ache, and, um, and I hated it at the time. But after you've done it, you feel like, oh, that's good. I've achieved something. Mm. You know, even if it's the only thing that you do with your day, it's a positive thing. Mm. Um, and so I think going to therapy can sometimes be like going to the gym where you will, maybe you'll even start on the subject or you'll start talking about something and you won't have time to sort of finish it because you come to the end of your session Mm. and you'll leave feeling very raw and a little bit broken. Um, but then it brings stuff up that you haven't necessarily thought about and it brings up ways that you think about yourself and other people Mm. that um, it gives you like a fresh take and a fresh um, a fresh perspective on stuff so that so that you leave kind of like slightly changed when the best the the best sessions are you've solved a problem Mm. Um, and maybe or or maybe equally good is that you've discovered uh, a way of looking at a problem that you haven't necessarily solved, but it gives you kind of like a way to kind of like analyse it yourself in, in, in that week that you've got in between sessions. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I, I've talked to therapists and what, as you say, what's great is sometimes you can solve a problem or think about a problem totally differently and come up with something that you thought you weren't going to get over in a long time and suddenly you, you're thinking very differently about that situation. Yeah, mm. and it's, it's and it's it's like you're 
So it is like having a workout. You're kind of like working on, on, on something, and you're. It's like um, you program yourself to, or you have programmed yourself over over your life to think about yourself certain ways and think about other people certain ways, and it's kind of like you go into a session and you can kind of like, by the end of it, take something that you've thought a certain way your entire life and just reprogram it. Yeah. And realise that something isn't your responsibility or isn't your fault or uh, or it is your responsibility and it is your fault, you know. Mm. But it's kind of like, and it's so it's not easy. It's not like going to therapy and just sort of like talking to someone and them saying, that's all right, you're all right, it's not your fault. It's sometimes having to kind of like confront stuff about you. So it's, it's difficult, like, yeah. like going to the gym sometimes. But I think uh, when you do it, you're better off for it. And it's not like a one hour, you go for one hour and you're fixed. It's kind of like a thing that you have to put time and effort into. And some weeks you'll feel like you haven't got anywhere. And so it'll be frustrating. But um, mm. it's exactly like going to the gym, basically. <laughs> but I think it's something that everyone should do. Yeah. I think that a lot of my um, interpersonal issues I've had with people, I think my mistake in the past has been assuming that I'm the only mental person. So you fall out with people. Like, I'm scarred by a lot of relationships that haven't worked out, not just, like, romantic relationships, but relationships with friends. I'm very scarred by it, and I'm very sort of, like... uh, I think my instincts are to try and fix stuff and to try and mend mend things. And... um, and I feel like I went through a very bad patch that I'm I'm sort of out of the end of that. I'm sort of like looking at stuff with a new perspective. But I think I've also been very sort of like broken by it. Mm. Like um and um and I think that my instincts were to just take responsibility for everything and to be like, I've fucked this mm. and to feel very like I'm I'm such um I'm such a mental case, you know. Uh, and uh, and I suffer from tremendous anxiety, and I have horrific depression, and uh, and the anxiety isn't just sort of like I'm scared of everything, but anxiety is sort of like it brings yourself out where, you know, um, like where success can kind of like bring anxiety out, where you feel that uh, just every waking moment is very stressful, and people's expectations of you is stressful, and standing up on stage. When you'd rather, you know, not have anybody even look at your face is stressful. And getting on the underground is stressful because you might get recognised. And, you know, so anxiety works itself in many ways. And and and, uh, and without you even realising it, you might, you know, be... Um, you might end up being kind of like much more unpleasant than you would choose to be, yeah. you know. And... Uh, and so you kind of like so you're dealing with all of this mental stuff that you've got, and you go, oh God, I'm the I'm the biggest cunt. I'm the I'm the cunt, you know. Mm. Um, I've been a cunt to everyone that I know, and uh, that is the reason why I've fallen out with people. And then you realise actually we're all mental. <laughs> Everyone's mental. Whatever mm. I'm thinking is what a lot of other people are thinking. And when you put two mental people together, then explosions happen. And, you know, yeah. and so you can kind of like take responsibility for your part of that. What I've learned 
So you can take responsibility for your part of that, but you can't take responsibility for how they, how th how how they're feeling internally. Yeah. If they don't voice that, I think what I've always tried to do in the past is I've tried to sort of like talk to people about, you know, um, I've tried to fix things and I've tried to talk through things, but not everyone's up for that. Yeah. And so you can't be responsible for that. You can only mm. do your part of it. Yeah, I've, I've, I've talked to a therapist about pretty much exactly the same thing, about friendships breaking down and taking, yeah, not so much taking responsibility, but how she framed it was um, you don't necessarily have to be friends with these people. If the friendship has broken down, what you're feeling is you're grieving. You're grieving the friendship and allow it to, allow it to die and go through that grief and don't try and cling on to it. Um, don't try and constantly, as you say, maybe try and rescue something that is not worth rescuing, you know? And that really helped me, actually, um, in terms of you don't have to be friends with everyone. Some friends you were friends with in the past, sometimes things do break down. See, I'm not there yet. I, yeah. I, I, I'm still at a point where you just think, well, maybe we've just put it on standby. But that really helped me. That really helped me to say, I mean, I've, I've been at your... Some of your parties and birthday parties, you've got a lot of friends, you've got, and, and that's what she pointed out to me. It's like, do you, having gone through this thing with these people, and if they've let you down so badly, which was the case with this, do you need to rescue this? Can you not, while you're feeling so bad is you're grieving the end of this friendship. And that really, as I say, instantly helped me. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not friends with these people anymore. I'm just suffering grief that they've gone. It really helped me. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like uh, I think one of the I think one of the things that's actually been the most painful is that um, one of the I don't know if it's why I do comedy, but I'm sort of like I I, I desperately want people to like me, yeah. you know, and so uh, and I also want to make friends. I love making friends. I love. Uh, uh, being positive and having a positive effect on people's lives, and um, uh, and and I like I like liking people, and I like people liking me, mm. and I don't like not liking people, and I don't like people not liking me. Mm. And so, if your aim in life every morning, every time you get up in the morning, and every time you leave the house, if your aim in life is to try and just make uh, uh, be positive. And be a positive part in people's lives, and to make every interaction you have with other people positive. If that is your goal in life, and you end up with a lot of enemies and people hating you, then um, you've kind of like absolutely fucked. That. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's the opposite of what you've set out to do. And so I find that kind of like I don't know. I find it really. Uh, but what, what this person said is there's enough person, and I've seen, as I say, your friends, and you've got loads of people that like you, loads of people that love you. Is it such a problem that maybe there's always going to be one or two people that don't? Well, I think, you know, over the years, in the, well, within the industry, mm. I've had friends in the industry, and then you fall out with people in the industry, and kind of like, you think, is it because I, w I was an arsehole? Is it because of this? Of that and it's kind of like I've never, I've never tried to be an arsehole. Yeah. Like but what you also have to understand is that everyone's going through their own thing. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's one of the most competitive industries ever. Yeah. You know, people can't be happy for their friends in this industry. 
Yeah. It's like, as soon as something good happens to someone else, you fucking hate them. You know, and it's kind of like, well, what, I, you know, that's one of the things that I found most upsetting about, about, because um, uh, I, was, I was successful quite early on in my career, like when I started, it, but I hadn't been, I'd been kind of like doing Edinburgh for 10 years mm. before anything good happened. And but I'd been doing stand up for three years. And so I think from the outside, people thought, well, that's happened really quickly. But from my point of view, it'd be like, actually, there's 10 years of absolute nothing, like a decade of nothing. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, I always try. I was just going to I was just about to say, I always try and be happy for my friends. That's n not true. I'm always happy for my friends. You know, that's why they're my friends. Yeah. When good things happen to people. You kind of like, you have to be happy for them. Yeah. Uh, my enemies, that's a different thing. But but my friends, do you know what I mean? And it's kind mm. of like, um, you don't want to live in a world where you've got enemies. And you don't want to live in a world where, you, where you, you have friends that you're not happy for. Of course, yeah. But I think one of the things about, uh, if we're talking about psychology and comedy, one of the things that helped me was just sort of like... Um, uh, not in terms of being happy for people, but just in terms of wanting everyone to like you all the time. Yeah. Um, I just think one of the things that helped me was um, a couple of years ago, I just tried to make some sort of distinction between kind of like um, friends and colleagues. Yeah. Because we're you, you can work with people, you know, in any job that you that you get on with, that you really love, that you, you look forward to seeing every day. Um, but you don't hang out in your spare time, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and so just because they're a colleague doesn't mean that they're not someone that you like and that you're not friendly with and all of that. But if you're sat at home wondering why all these people don't phone you up and ask you to hang out with them, then it's because, you know, you're not... It's a, you know, that's what your friends are for. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, like from every kind of like part of my life, I've I've collected all the good people yeah and you know, all the people that I love and they love me and um, and then you look at that and you go oh I've got like a rich tapestry of friends mm. that isn't about what I'm doing immediately right now yeah and I, I kind of like I don't know I don't know how I feel you, about it all. you have you have been and you are um, you know very successful and as you say you're surrounded by people that love you and friends and You've got great friends. Do you do you talk to the therapist about the sources of then the depression and where that comes from? And have you made strides to understand it and therefore deal with it? And because some people say they suffer from depression as if they're never going to cut it to a certain extent, you know, which is possible. I don't. I don't see the. the I heard like I can't remember who it was. I think it was some sort of. I think it was a sports person. Um, so I can't remember their name but they said you know they suffer from some depression mm. uh, and then they worked it out and now they're better mm. and I find that kind of like fascinating because that's not my experience I've always had depression mm. and it's just a it's just a way from as long as you can remember from, yeah from like so as, uh, from all my entire life from as long as I've always had it because I've heard you talking about being bullied in the past, even before that. Yeah, I don't think bullying made makes me made me depressed. I yeah. don't think it can make you. Um, there's two sorts of depression, isn't there? 
There's, oh, it's raining. Oh, <laughs> you know. And there is... I thought that's what you meant. There's a psych, there's, a, there's um, an existential emptiness and loneliness that you feel in your heart, mm. an aching in your heart that can never be fixed and can never be filled, you know. Mm. And so I think bullying can go into kind of like the uh, it's raining category where... It's kind of like, it's horrible being bullied. It's awful. But it's also kind of like a temporary thing. You know, mm. you can have, you can, you can give you psychological damage. It can damage you psychologically. But there are ways of working through that, I think. Whereas if it's for more of an existential thing or something beyond your control, beyond, you know, out of, you can't quite put, if you can put a pin on it, you can, if you can pinpoint it and go, uh, my depression stems from uh, the time that I was up for a sports award and I didn't get it. <laughs> and then I went through a bout of no, but depression but you, and then I fixed it. Don't you think there's obviously a variety of causes for depression, be that genetic or be that things that you've gone through in your life? And yeah, it's hard to, if you can't pinpoint an exact thing, then it's harder to get through yeah, but it. But you're, you're talking as if it's impossible. I to, to cure your depression. Um, yeah, fine. Uh, but also it's not a competition between who's got the best depression. Do you know what I mean? Of course, of course. It's, uh, it's, or who's got the more uh, severe depression or the most permanent depression. <laughs> it's kind of like, no, depression is not a goal. Right? I think that, but, uh, but it's a little bit like an ailment. It's a little bit like arthritis mm. where there are remedies and you can ease it. Yeah, but it's sort of they were always there mm. um, f for me, and you kind of like come to terms with your depression. I've had it for so long that I kind of like I don't rely on it, mm. and I wish it wasn't there. But without it, I don't know if I'd have achieved as much as I would have. Yeah, you said yeah. earlier that winners winners aren't funny, and it does stand out when you say that, of course, because. So you I don't have depression, and I, uh, uh, but I, I don't use it as a way of... I try not to use it as a way of people... Yeah, I, I wrote a post, the, I, I did an Instagram thing the other day where I said, haven't left my house since last Thursday, mm. which had been like five days. Mm. And I think what I actually said was, haven't left my house since last Thursday or spoken to another human being, full mm. stop, just cut my own hair. And then there was a photo of me, and I'd just cut my own hair, right? <laughs> and I thought that was funny, right? So you post it on, yeah, I think it, I thought it was funny. That was the aim, right? <laughs> so I posted it on Instagram, and then you, and then all of a sudden I'm bombarded with <laughs> private messages and people posting, and everyone's like going, hope you're all right, I hope you're okay. And it's kind of like, oh, I was not anticipating that response, you know? Mm. So there are two things, or three things that are going on there. One is that uh, I'm not as funny as I think I am. <laughs> uh, two, uh, and I don't think that's a genuine one. I think I am as funny <laughs> as I think I am, and I don't find myself that funny. Um, but I think one of the things is that kind of like uh, on social media, everyone takes everything at face value. Mm. So, so there's that, but there's also the thing that's kind of like, I, I don't use social media as a way to genuinely express how I'm feeling, uh, I would say 90% of the time. But I don't use 
social media as a way of, or as a cry for help. Sure. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, I do have people that I can talk to. But you realise that when you post something and you haven't left the house for five, six days, people are going to take that as something they need to reach out about. Sure. but oh. And it was true as well. Yeah. But also, I had, I had a sense of humour about it. Yeah. And, the uh, haircut. And, I, and then I cut my hair and I was just like, what have I done? I didn't notice that when you came in, but uh, I'll look at it when we finish this. Oh, mate, I'm, uh, I couldn't sleep last night, so it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress. I cut a bit too much off the other <laughs> side last night, and so <laughs> one side of my hair is longer than the other, and so I'm going to have to like even it up. Um, <laughs> see, my ex-girlfriend was a hairdresser. She does hair and makeup. Right. And uh, But she used to cut my hair. Coming <laughs> <laughs> to make a to make a bleak thing bleaker. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's funny. Do you know what I mean? I've got a sense of humour about it, even though it is true and it is very sad. <laughs> so that's part one of my conversation with the beautifully coiffured Nick Helm. Join us next time for part two, where we talk about depression as an abusive relationship that one wants to get out of and not be defined by. And what makes Nick happy? His ace live shows, including the absolutely brilliant I Think You Stink. So that's our show for today. Join us again next week for more Psychomedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us, and only psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hansen, BA English for Pop People Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe, rate and listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed and there's video clips and more at psychomedy.co.uk. Follow us on social media at PopPeopleUK, at PsychomedyPod, at Nathan Cassidy and at The Nick Helm. Lots of love. See you again next week. Pod people.